Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Zero Pucks Given, the UK ice hockey podcast. We are in partnership with the Hockey Art Co. Hockey clothing for hockey people, worn by the best and hated by the rest. Listeners to Zero Pucks Given get a 10% discount on everything site-wide at hockeyartco.co.uk. Just enter the code ZP10 upon checkout to get your discount. Now then, this is episode 57. We've got the details from the Britain Division action this weekend. There were only four games, but as always in this division, entertainment guaranteed. This week, I'm also joined by two guests as we discuss something that is an ongoing conversation in physical contact sports, concussion. I'm joined by former ice hockey player Danny Wright and former rugby player, now concussion and breathing expert David Jacko Jackson. David suffered a head injury 10 years ago and had to stop playing rugby. Since then, has gone on an incredible journey of learning everything about his body, how it works, how it recovers and the difference you can make by doing breathing exercises. But before we get into all that, let's uh, get the news this week. In DOPS, obviously that's the only news that's in town, usually. The Romford Buccaneers will be without Bradley Taylor for two games for fighting in last week's game at the Thunderdome. Much to the disagreement of Bucks coach Jason Buckman, but uh, no no appeal has been lodged for that. For Invicta Dynamos, Harrison Lillis is now serving two games for an off-ice altercation at Chelmsford. And staying with Invicta, Joe Stevenson gets four games for fighting. From the video, not too sure what Dops have given and what for, but you can you can see on the video Stevenson have a couple of swings at Goodchild when he's on the ground, so possibly fighting an unwilling opponent. But there, there certainly needs to be some real clarification of the tiers and what constitutes the jump between the tiers. Also, um, last week, Chieftain's coach, Lewis Clifford, uh, joined our friends over at 4,000 and counting. And had a similar view to myself with the Cam Bartlett incident, whereby considering the bans that DOPS have been handing out, uh, more than four were probably expected. But if the DOPS can make it clear what the tiers are and what the punishment is warranted for which offence, then it can be clearer for everybody. So then there's no confusion. Right, after the news then, let's get to those match reports from the weekend and start at Planet Ice in Gillingham as the thunder rolled into town. Invicta Dynamos versus MK Thunder. Started off a bit scrappy, the home side missing a couple of suspended players, although welcome back Owen Dell from international ball hockey duty and even had head coach Carl Lennon dressed for the second week in a row. The Thunder welcoming Cameron Hamill back to their lineup as well. As I said, a scrappy start and it took to the 14th minute for us to get a goal as Chard and Bell on the assists for Tom Lemming to make it 1-0 on 14-32. The Moes doubled their lead on 17.08 when Chard and Huggett assisted Stano Laschek for 2-0. Both well worked and seemingly settled the Moes down after a tough couple of weeks. 
into the second and last check scored again, this time assisted by Saw and makeshift D-man Mads Doon for 3-0 on 29-22. After Bell and Howe sat for chucking some nucks, the Thunder pulled one back through Cameron Hammer, assisted by Davis and McCluskey on 34-14 for 3-1. Before the second was out, Stano last check wrapped up his hat-trick for 4-1, assisted by Springer Hughes and Saw on 38-53. Into the third, and the Moes really stamped their authority on the game and put it to bed early when Springer Hughes made it 5-1 on 43-43. The home side killed off a Huggett penalty shortly after the goal and scored again when Laschek got his fourth on 47-28, assisted by Springer Hughes and Strawson for 6-1. Just before the buzzer, Springer Hughes got his fourth point of the game as he finished the scoring on 59-57, assisted by Saw and McCallan. Both netties take the Man of the Match awards, and after the game, Dynamo's coach Carl Lennon gave his thoughts to ZPG. We came into the weekend severely depleted, injuries, illnesses, and then the two suspensions that were handed out to us on, on Friday. So not ideal preparation. That was also compounded by the fact that we lost Owen Dell um, as, as we entered the ice on, on Saturday. He had a freak collision with another player and um, ultimately he's in a pretty bad way with his uh, losing a couple of teeth there and, and now... Hopefully we can get them on the mend as, as soon as possible. But that's kind of a sign of our luck at the moment, it feels like. That said, that won't stop us. We'll keep moving forward. Um, we stay together. I dress myself on, on Saturday and, um, you know, that's not an ideal situation. We're trying to avoid that if we can. But we managed to, to get, a, you know, on a more positive note, um, the debut for Dan Alabaster. He did fantastic, 16-year-old lad who skated tirelessly when he was on the ice and, and worked, worked super hard so I was really happy that he, he managed to be part of a, a good win for us um, the game itself was quite scrappy um, we were sort of a bit slow and tentative out the blocks I think again probably the fact that we were so short on bodies just you know trying to find our way in and then ultimately grateful to uh, the guys to get the job done Stano with four goals and Ruskin got a couple and James himself scored two so that was great. Um, Matt Friend did fantastic between the pipes as well. So there were positives to take from, you know, ultimately what is a difficult time for, for us. Um, but getting the job done was the most important thing. We, we sat on four losses and so a win was massive for us and hopefully can kickstart us back into, um, into some form. Next week we've got Oxford and Chelmsford, so another two tough games uh, up ahead of us. And, of course, the boys will be um, preparing this week accordingly to make sure we're ready to go next weekend. Cheers. To the hangar next as Solent Devils head to Berkshire to face the rampant Slough Jets. Both sides swapped penalties in the, in the first before the home side took the lead on the power play after new dad Mason Wilde took two for holding and two of the Holy Trinity combined as they await the return of Christian Moore. So Jacob Minter pitched in with the assist along with Seb Moore to allow Jack Goodchild to score on 17-10 at power play goal. Before the end of the first, Slough doubled their advantage as the Cathcart boys combined to feed Dylan Holocker for 2-0 on 18-06. Into the second and the game ignited as Drelin and Perella Fox sat for two for roughing on 23-33. After their release, Llewellyn sat for hooking on 23.05 and then Slough had a period of five on three after Perella Fox, playing his 200th game for Solent, congrats to Callum, went back in for tripping on 23.42, but no further goals came from that power play action. Then there were further penalties in a crazy spell as Erskine and Smithall sat for Slough for hooking and interference respectively, with Sutton sitting for hooking and the Solent bench receiving two for too many men. 
into the third and the Jets flew out of the traps and made it 3-0 on 40-27 with a goal from Seb Moore assisted by Smittle. On 41-26, Solent had a power play opportunity when Erskine sat for tripping and on 42-09, Kane Russell and Alex Murray assisted Steve Osman for 3-1 power play goal. After both sides again exchanged penalties, the Devils made it a one-goal game when Luke Forsyth scored on 49-48, assisted by Wilde and Cooper. When Kane Russell took a tripping penalty on 51-33, the Jets got their power play line out there and quickly got their two-goal lead back. That man again, Jack Goodchild, assisted by that man again, Seb Moore, 4-2 on 51-52. As the Devils were trying to pressure into the final 10 minutes, Dylan Holliker got his second unassisted and gave Slough the 5-2 victory. Man of the match performances from Jacob Minter and Luke Forsyth as the Devils get caught in the jet wash and in a flat spin, head back to the sea. The final game on Saturday and we've saved the best till last as the Buccaneers visited Red Hawk country in South London, where the face-off was slightly delayed and the home side welcomed back JJ Pitchley and Brandon Miles from injury. Started with Nate Gregory in the pipes, Sonny Phillips in net for the Bucks, and the game started frantically as Luca Pascali went unassisted on 26 seconds to give the visitors the lead. After chances at both ends, Streatham levelled with a goal from JJ Pitchley on 7.40, assisted by Gregory and Hops. Less than a minute later, the visitors retook the lead when Pascali turned provider for Migas Canis on 18.17. Both sides had plenty of chances, and the Redhawks took a cross-checking penalty for Martin on 15.01, but the home side again pulled it back on 16.57, shorthanded through the Ely Newman boys, Ben on the assist and Josh with the coast-to-coast goal. Into the second and the Red Hawks team talk had a profound effect after Josh Ely Newman turned provider, along with Ethan Lane for Ben Painter to score on 20.27 to make it 3-2 to the home side. On 22.01, they stretched their lead further with another goal from Josh Ely Newman, assisted by Waller for 4-2. A couple of minutes later, it's 5-2 as Josh Ely Newman completes his hat-trick assisted by Lane. The home side really looked to be cooking on gas. Buckman called a timeout to settle the Buccaneers and get them to keep their heads. Sonny Phillips standing on his to keep the champions out. And on 36-15, the Bucks found a way back in when Ewan Hill on his return to Streatham, assisted by Brindley Caps for 5-3 on 36-15. Seconds later, it was a one-goal game when Pascali added another goal by assisted by Caps and Tamarlin on 37.01 for 5-4. Into the third and a bit of end-to-end hockey resulting in some long shifts for both sides, but after Harvey Briggs playing against his old club took a 10-minute misconduct penalty, and before we knew it, it was five apiece when Wilson assisted Caps for his second on 45.23. As the period was drawing to a close and it appeared overtime could be on the cards, Stretton player coach Ben Painter popped up with the goal to give the Red Hawks the lead, assisted by Josh Ely Newman and Brittle. The game was completed in the final 60 seconds when the freed and forgiven Harvey Briggs put the final slash in the Buccaneers' sails when he made it 7-5 on 59-23. Migas Canis and Josh Ely Newman with the post-match beers and after an incredible game at the high road, after their hard-fought victory, Stretton player coach Ben Painter gave his thoughts to ZPG. Um, yeah, single-header weekend. Uh, Romford at home. We sort of didn't have the best of starts. Um, we're short bench, got a lot of injuries at the moment. Um, this was a rearranged game, so a couple of guys unavailable. Um, and I think it's maybe we've had we've had a bit of time. Uh, boys have started to gel with lines and things like that, but went into the game short bench and boys double shifting and all seemed a bit, with it being a rearranged game, it seemed a bit, little bit off maybe. Um, 
But we we sort of we started the game. We didn't have the best of starts, and we didn't have the best of first periods. Um, ended the period two-two, which which you know what was uh, a couple of individual efforts um, gets going. Joshie Newman had a, had a great game, um, and and sort of managed to tie us up at two-two there to to keep us in it. Um, and we re- we resetted well going into the second. I think we, we had a good reaction and scored a couple of quick goals and, and really sort of started to really dominate. Um, but then just uh, I think we, we we got comfy again and and when Romford came straight back at us and we found ourselves in a five-five game, which we don't want to be doing. I, I don't want, that's not the way I want us playing. I want us being solid defensively first, and uh, these aren't the games we want to be in. And then going into the third, we were yeah chasing the game and. We, we knew that we had to take the game to them and I think we did that. We applied lots of pressure, had lots of time in in their end and, and we really sort of, we dug deep. It was it was good to see that when it when all the sort of, when, it, when we are back against the wall bit, we, we really did turn it on and when we want to be, we can we can dominate teams and I think we had possession in, in that Romford's end for the majority of the period and really sort of took it to them at the end there and, and just kept turning the screws. So... And yeah, I think we got rewarded for our hard work. And I think, realistically, again, it goes back to if we played a full 60 minutes, we would have, would have sort of, been quite comfortable. But we switched off and a couple of, couple of passengers at times, and and, it, and we sort of we found ourselves in a game where, where really we we when we wanted to dominate, we did. So, um, I'd say Romford have got a, a couple of really good players that, can sort of and no doubt put the puck in the net. Um, and and they are dangerous, and we spoke about before the game that they they they've got young guys that are, have the ability to to really play, and and so we 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 knew what to expect, and I think it was just a bit of um a bit of complacency at times, and got ourselves a bit of trouble, but it's another two points on the board, and another weekend sort of down, and yeah, we just keep chipping away a game at a time. And after his side's incredible performance, Buccaneers coach Jason Buckman gave me his thoughts. Close competitive game at the weekend against the Red Hawks for the Buccaneers. Um, never an easy place to go and play uh, and get any points, let alone go and score five goals and still be on the losing side. Um, certainly a result and a performance that the boys can take a lot from moving forward. Um, to go three goals down, it's usually game over in Streatham, but um, they kept battling. Uh, got the game back to 5-5 five, five and... I guess uh, just that little bit extra quality in certain areas um, gave Stratton the advantage and uh, the victory in the end. Uh, like I said, it's it's a performance we can take a lot of positives from and uh, we've got two more fixtures against them in the league and uh, hopefully we can get them back. On to the Sunday and Chumpsford versus Oxford. A tight start to the game. The home side having the best of the puck until some slack defending let the stars in to close close to Lorde's net until Matt and Matt Holiday, Matt Lorde, pardon me, and Dylan Hullaby managed to squeeze the puck to Bailey Hine Pitcher, who put the stars ahead on 819. The stars then had a power play chance when Lack sat for two for high sticks on 924, but the Chieftains killed off and upon returning to full strength, penned the stars in. And at the second attempt, Jay King rifled home from the high slot to make it 1-1. Pentecost and Lack with the assists on 11.43. The Chieftains had a power play opportunity on 14.12 when Watchorn was seated for hooking, but they failed to capitalise until the Stars returned to full strength. 
And then after good work by Grant Bartlett, he squared the puck to Ollie Baldock, who tapped home from the far post for 2-1 on 1629. A few handbags at the buzzer, not entirely sure why or who, but into the second we go, and the Chieftains started to put some real nice hockey together, playing fantastic shapes through the final third, and extended their lead on 24-53 after Jameson released Pentecost, who from behind the goal found Lack, who finished neatly for a real captain's goal for 3-1. A few minutes later, it was four after some brilliant work from Jameson and Lack released Grant Bartlett on the right circle, who smashed past Miller for 4-1 on 29-16. Both teams took tripping penalties when Jay King and Brad Watchhorn's hat, so staying five on five, but the Chieftains did pen the Stars in and forced another goal as Porter and Barnes Porter and Barnes Garner assisted Ollie Baldock for his second for 5-1 on 34-57. It was then that the game disappeared for Oxford after Hatfield and Pickering dropped gloves, but out of nowhere, Watchhorn arrived from the bench and appeared to get to grips with Pickering from his blind spot. On the night he was given five-plus game, we'll see what Dopp says about that next week. Chelmsford pinned Oxford in and totted up the goals. Firstly, Jameson and Porter assisted, assisted Grant Bartlett for his second for 6-1 on 36-50. Ethan Reed went unassisted and on the wraparound made it 7-1 on 37-07. Bulldog and Pentecost laid on for Halden Barnes Garner for 8-1 on 38-14. Into the third and the Stars swapped Miller for Dolan, the Chieftains swapped Lorde for Ray and the visitors managed to kill the remaining 50 seconds of the major penalty they had. After returning to full strength and trying to even it out, the Chieftains scored again as Barnes Garner smashed home from the right circle, assisted by the very impressive Reese King and Ethan Reed for 9-1 on 51-12. After that goal, Alan Lack sat for two for slashing, and on that power play, the Chieftains broke with Fillery and Porter before Grant Bartlett went down the left and beautifully wristed the puck into the top corner, his hat-trick goal for 10-1 on 52-50, shorthanded goal. Grant Bartlett finished the night in style, scoring his 200th goal for the Chieftains. Congratulations to Grant for that massive achievement. It was a lovely finish as well, deking through the Oxford D before sending Dolin for a hot dog and finishing the game for 11-1 on 54-50. A resounding win for the home side, the five-minute major penalty doing the damage really, so possibly skewing the result, but it was one of the best Chieftains performances of the season so far. After all the games, now it's time for this. Hi, it's Justin Wong, Kenny Wu from the Muddy Ducks, presenting Zero Pucks Given Britain Division Player of the Week. Player of the Week then. Some great performances again this weekend. Another hat-trick for Jack Goodchild, a four-goal haul for Stano Laszczak, and a top performance from Brindley Caps. But this week, with four goals, one assist, and notching his 200th goal in the process, this week's Player of the Week is Chelmsford Chieftains' Grant Butler. Now it's time to get down to business on concussion. I'm thrilled to be joined by Danny Wright and David Jacko Jackson. Zero Pucks Given in partnership with the Hockey Art Co. I'm joined so wonderfully tonight by Danny Wright. How are you doing, fella? Not bad for you. I'm wicked, mate. I'm wicked. And we are absolutely thrilled to be joined by David Jacko Jackson. How are you doing this evening, sir? I'm good. I would say I'm wicked as well, but I haven't really used that phrase for a while. I feel like you've <laughs> took me back to the 90s there, but I'm enjoying it. I think that's where Danny belongs. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd, I'd say 80s, but I'll, I'll stick with 90s, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you come to a little bit of maturity. But I must say, I'm so glad you're wearing a fleece tonight, David, because you would be 
a little bit intimidating to the two of us with your your physique. <laughs> don't, don't worry. I'm I'm uh, we've moved to North Wales and this is my Roscad van Fleece is like where we are up in the, up in the like the foothills of Snowdonia. You've uh, you got to have some warm clothes on for sure. So yeah, the mm. the, the tops off training is uh, is either for holidays or for for the for the summer. And even in the summer, it's probably not that warm. Yeah. And you've got Wi-Fi up there now as well. Hey, steady, <laughs> steady. <laughs> well, David, not... you got... Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, no, no. I was just going to make another joke with David, but let's, we can get let's get into, <laughs> get into what we're here for. But no, we, That's we, we, it. We, That's we, it. Yeah, we, we you know we'll get serious at some point. I'm sure. Um, I mean, you joining us this evening, we have got a very serious topic to discuss um, in uh, concussion, brain injuries, and everything you've learned in recovering from one. Am I right in thinking it's next week? Are we 10 years since your injury? Um, no, it was uh, it was August 2013, so we've I've passed the, 10 year, past the 10 years. 10-year anniversary, 20. yeah. It's not necessarily an anniversary I celebrate, but <laughs> yeah, it's been 10 nah. years. Nah, so tell us a little bit about it, how, how the injury came about and, and, and what you were doing when it when it occurred. Um, so I guess like the, I had a, a series of concussions throughout my career, which then, you know, which started ironically, probably in the nineties when I was 16, I had my first one, um, uh, an England trial, 16 years old, took to hospital, kept in overnight to be monitored because I was, yeah, I was fully, and, and interestingly played the rest of the game. We were just talking about that. Um, so it didn't come off. I remember my dad being really angry because he could see that I was, I clearly didn't know where I was. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, and I, and I stayed on the field, which at, at that back then, you know, when I was 16, that had been, uh, I'm trying to do some maths now, uh, 1998. And yeah, we concussions weren't as taken as seriously as they are now. So sort of fast forward to 2013, and I'd have had 10 or more concussions. Um, I was, it was taking less to knock me out. And there was, um, my symptoms would last a lot longer, but it was only in retrospect to started to piece this all together. Um, what happened 10 years ago, two of us playing touch on the same team, just banged into each other. So it wasn't contact. It wasn't a game. We we're just warming up and it wasn't the opposition. It was two of us just, you know, looking at the ball and banged into each other. Um, I then hit the ground and one of my friends even said it was, it, it literally was funny. They're about to laugh, but when I hit the ground, I started having a seizure. Um, so I did fit. Um, I've luckily you don't ever remember that. So I've lost two weeks. I've lost two weeks of my memory around that period, but, that I'll never, I'll ever get sort of back, but neither do I want to. Like, you don't want it. Luckily, it's like one of those things that you don't remember, like having a seizure. And equally, I played professional rugby for 13 years and I played from when I was six years old all the way through it. I had never seen someone have a seizure on the field. Um, and I think that I doubt that anyone else on that team or on that field that day had seen that. And the NFL had just had their. Um, sort of lawsuit go through and that the the seriousness of concussions was starting to build a little bit more um, attention and awareness and so I was lucky that people were taking it more seriously then but I think that 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 very visual thing of something having a seizure uh, makes a 
brain injury that's very difficult to see really clear mm. for people. Mm. So it was like, get him in the recovery position. So a couple of my mates who were closest, just put me in the recovery position, made sure I didn't swap, swallow my tongue and, um, you know, got the physio over and, and, and the physio took me to, took me to hospital. And, um, yeah, that was the start of, um, a very dark and, uh, a difficult time where I wasn't, getting a lot of answers, wasn't getting a lot of advice, wasn't getting a lot of um, clarity on what I should be doing other than don't do anything, don't stimulate your brain. You know, reading a book hurt my head. Looking at a light, having the lights on hurt. So it was like, don't do anything. Um, and we hope that you might recover fully at some point. Um and the first few months I was trying to get back to playing. That was the, I guess that was the norm, you know, been knocked out many times before, been concussed many times before, been took to hospital a few times before. And I'd always got back to playing. But when I look back on my um, concussion history, it's really clear. And when I uh, finally had an MRI scan, which I just had a CT scan at first, which showed some bruising, but it's like a CT scan. You, you learn these things later. CT scan basically doesn't show anything unless you've got like a major trauma, like hemorrhage that needs to be operated on. So it's like, oh, you've got a concussion, go home. You'll be all right. Make sure, make sure you're being monitored for 24 hours because a bleed can come out within the first 24 hours, the most sort of dangerous time. So I go home to be monitored. Um, <laughs> and uh, I can't remember exactly all the time frames, but a week or a couple of weeks or, uh, you know, a few, a couple of weeks, a week or so, or maybe a little bit longer went by. My wife took me back into hospital, sent me back to A&E because we were like, he isn't right. <laughs> That's what but me talking about how him, he's like, you don't feel like yourself. So it's like, this isn't, and, and trying to give context and like, I've been knocked out loads of times. This is not the same. Like you need to, you need to try and look at this a bit differently or it must be something like, can you give me a better scan, an MRI scan, whatever. So I didn't get anything. I got sent home again. They just look, re-looked at my old, my CT scan. I went, yeah, no, it's just concussion. You'll be fine. Go home. Um, so yeah, I was, I was trying to get back to playing. Um, I was scared of quitting, even though I knew that was the right thing to do. Um, it was my career. So it was like, what are you going to do? You know, I was very fortunate. I was 31 at the time. I'd had a long career. Um, friends of mine have retired early um, and, you know, barely had a career. So I was, I was, you know, very grateful and fortunate for that. But, um, yeah, I, I was scared that actually my weakness in speaking out and going, I know I'm not right. I need to quit regardless that a doctor hasn't told me I've got to quit. Mm. Like if I'd have done that, that six month process, the first period would have been an awful lot easier. Um, eventually I got an MRI scan because I just wasn't making any progress. I was made, I made some progress, um, but I wasn't nowhere near being able to get back to playing. Um, and my MRI scan was about four months or so after the injury. So it showed a scar from the bleed that I'd had, which was a, you know, and the specialists, you get a little bit, 
forgive me for sounding a bit frustrated in it's 10 years ago. So when I reflected now and I, and I know an awful lot more now. And I think um, when I first used to get interviewed about it, I, I was very careful that I didn't want to obsess anyone. I didn't want to criticize anyone. And, and I'm, I guess, as you get older, you get a little bit more <laughs> sort of <laughs> happy with like, look, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And if that upsets someone, it's not my fault because this is just the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. The specialist said, Oh, you know, she, I walked in and she's got my record up of concussions. She's like, you've been busy. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, look at your history of brain injuries coming to, coming to hospital. This is clearly a cumulative buildup of the previous ones. And I was there with my physio, good friend of mine. And he was like, well, we were both like, sorry, come again. Like, you know, she was the neurologist, um, with the QMT, the, with the NHS, the Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. Mm. She wasn't some like high flying specialist sports geologist or anything. Just, and for her, this cumulative build up, and I've looked into the, all the research now, and it's like, well, of course you knew that because it's there in black and white. It's been there for 10 years or more. Um, that there was a cumulative buildup of, of brain injuries. And hence why it was, and she was like, hence why it's taking less to knock you out. And hence why your recovery times are taking longer and your symptoms are worse and she described my history without ever seeing me previously um so yeah that was that was the sort of case to me and when i look back there was some clear telltale signs even five years before that last one where um you know i guess we can go into more but just sort of rounding that bit off of like what happened there um yeah then you know she told me in rugby there's nothing to stop you playing if you want to worryingly if you're a bot but she says my recommendation is that you don't play contact sports because the next one could be fatal mm. um which sounds dramatic and i didn't used to like saying that again because i didn't want to upset anyone but that was the that was the facts um and she said the best way i can put it to you is in boxing if a professional boxer can't take a standing 10 count because they've been knocked out they can't go back to their feet they have to go for a an MRI scan. And if anything comes up on their MRI scan, like you've got on yours, they would take their license away from you. She was like, there isn't that in rugby. But I was like, look, because <laughs> she, she was worried I was going to be upset that she was basically felt like she was ending my career. And I was like, I'm literally scared of going back out onto the field. And I'm scared of saying I'll quit. You telling me I have to is a massive sigh <laughs> interestingly now with breathing i know that like taking a big sigh isn't probably the best thing to do but i definitely would have had there was a there was a, a sigh of relief of um okay l l that's that's everything i need to know um i'm going to now focus on my recovery um look at what i'm going to do next in life um and move on um and i guess part of that moving on was uh, retraining in terms of career and looking into brain health. What can I, like I am now in a category of people, all three of us here sat are, that have had multiple concussions. Cognitive decline later in life is, is potentially to be high, early onset of dementia, uh, these types of cognitive issues and, brain, and memory issues. We're in that category. So what can we do? What can I do? My wife is is really into the health and well being. She's a, a functional um, health coach, looking at what 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 can we do for brain health and and how do 
how do concussions and how do brain injuries affect the functioning of our, our brain and, and our brain health. Mm. So um, it took me a few years to, to find breathing, um, but I got there and, and have found some very simple, practical things that we can do that help improve blood flow to brain, help improve the nervous system, help with brain health long-term, help with memory cognition. Um, and since going through that process myself, been digging more and more into the research and finding things that relate all this stuff together that go back to the 1960s. And you're like, why was I told to go home and do nothing? Because that isn't, that, that isn't empowering at all. No. You're depressed anyway. You've, 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 you've had to quit your career. You don't know where your next paycheck's coming from. You're depressed because depression is part of post-concussive syndrome. And then you're told there's nothing you can do to actually help this process. Whereas any other injury, there'd be things that you could do. Um, and the thing with, with concussions and brain injuries is there is something you can do and it's as simple mm. as something with your breathing. Um, and that's why I'm trying to share with some of the work, you know, I don't, so majority of my work isn't with concussion patients or clients. It's with sports people, helping them with, use their breathing to improve their performance and improve their recovery. But I work a lot within sports where people do get concussions like rugby, um, like mixed martial arts, um, even cricket, where you get hit by a hard ball, whether you're wearing a helmet or not not necessarily going to stop that brain from shaking inside the skull so um yeah, yeah i probably that's like a 20 minute intro to like yeah. my my story but it gives you <laughs> set some context and time for the yeah for the conversation so i hope it's helpful well one of the worst yeah. conditions is that they can't even now uh sort of diagnose from brain injury cte and, and we're seeing a lot of that in ice hockey players aren't we it's particularly you know those of them that are dying early some of them are taking their own lives because they're just yeah their thoughts yeah. are so scrambled from it and they can't well, we're seeing, and that's there. we're seeing the same thing as what we saw 10 years ago in in american football we're seeing all the same yes. stories come out in these other sports that are very similar but we're getting a lot of head traumas and even we're, we're starting to understand that there it, sometimes it doesn't even have to be direct trauma to the head or initial impact to the head like the head hitting the floor or just getting whacked hard in the in the chest and that shaking it's the brain shaking inside of the skull um, and those repeated mm. knocks when you're not getting the recovery. And I think one thing to point out really clear at the start to try and take um, sort of a, we, we look at all injuries and then we sort of take brain injuries and we go, oh, we don't understand that and we can't see it. So we're going to put it over there. Whereas if someone does their ACL or the pulls their hamstring, you're most likely to do your ACL or pull your hamstring if you've previously done it. Why is that? Yes. Well, because you've already injured it. And when are you, when are you most, most susceptible? When you haven't fully healed yet. So it's no different if we just, you know, I was a, a, a winger or fullback and so we got sprinting, so pulling a hamstring just sort of came with being fast um, and probably, <laughs> probably could have done some better training. But, like, I pulled my hamstring multiple times and it was always when I was trying to come back too quickly from the injury. When I came back too quickly from my brain injuries or my previous concussions, it meant that the next one, because I hadn't fully healed, 
The next one was worse. Same with any injury. And I think what we say is, yeah, but we can't, you know, we can't measure, we can't see the brain injury, we can't see it. It's like, well, you can't see a hamstring tear either, but you scan it and you can see it. Mm. You can see the impact of the hamstring tear in that you're limping or whatever. Well, I can see the impact of your brain injury. We can measure HRV, heart rate variability, which tells about your nervous system. And I can see that your nervous system is dysregulated. I can measure your breathing, which is a reflection of your nervous system and a reflection of like, has the blood flow and uh, blood supply and oxygen to the brain been restored or not yet? No, or yes. So we're, we're starting to understand quite clearly, yeah, we can measure it and we can see it and we can scan it like another thing, or we can use these other parameters that we don't need a scan and then actually make better informed decisions of has this person's brain <laughs> recovered or not yet? The same way we would do with their hamstring or whatever the other body part. Has mm. it recovered yet? Are they able to go back into playing? And what we're not doing is we're not applying those things. And I think that I get upset when we're not doing like the really obvious bits. You said I hadn't seen that because I don't really follow football anymore. Um, you said Hammer Aguirre three weeks ago got like completely, clearly like KO'd and, yeah. and stayed on for the rest of the game. And it's like, what I just described there is a bit more of like of the intricate stuff with managing brain injuries, which we should be doing better at. But when we can't even get the bit where I get it in rugby, watching a game, there's millions of people watching and you go, okay, well, that person looks like they just got knocked out and they're all dazed. And they've, and the law within rugby has been changed now. And they rugby is interesting because they don't even call them rules. They're called laws, yeah. which makes them sound more serious. But mm. when you change the law to, if someone's suspected, of concussion they come off and there's an independent doctor supposed to be watching the game whose only job is to look for concussions and then millions of us see it happen and then that person stay on you're like we're not even getting like the absolute simplest basic bits right and i and i don't know i don't know why we can't even get those bits right like it's better you know before we went on air i said like when i first got concussed in 1998, when I was 16, we just laugh about it. I remember a guy we'd won that we we'd come we'd got promoted, one uh, and we started a game to play, and he we he got knocked out in the last game of the season, and we were on the bus, and he couldn't remember, and we were like, yeah, no, we got promoted last week, and he was like, what? He was like reliving it all again. We thought it was hilarious, and then he he'd broken up with his missus a couple of months uh, weeks ago or something, and he couldn't remember that. So the lads were like trying to get him to to call his ex missus up and like. So he didn't know that they'd broken up. So it was like all this stuff going on. Like we didn't take it seriously because we didn't, we weren't educated and didn't understand the impacts of what was, of what was happening. And yeah, we've made, we've made cultural changes, but it's just the start of it. A bit like with a brain injury, when you're symptom free, that's the start of your recovery. And it's a great starting point. But when you're symptom free, it doesn't mean that blood flow has been restored to the brain. It doesn't mean that the brain has fully recovered. It doesn't mean the nervous system dysregulation that occurs with a brain injury has calmed down. So we need to be measuring and assessing breathing. We need to be measuring, assessing heart rate variability to give us better parameters of how well has this brain recovered? Is it able to take another impact? And symptom management has been shown in the literature that someone can be symptom free and scan their brain. I think it was a study from Wang in 2015 where scan their brain seven months later 
and they still show signs of reduced blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain. Seven months later, wow. after being yeah. symptom-free. So it's, it's not symptom management isn't good enough, basically. And it's there in the literature. Um, so, yeah, you can see why I get frustrated. No, I totally agree, totally agree. But, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's certainly good to hear. You know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and it's certainly good to hear real live what you're saying and and going back to like you said with secondary hits you know it might be a hit to the body and then obviously the, the head is hitting walls ice floor wherever it may be i find that these days every athlete you know back when i played when i was 15 16 we were mm. just kids I, if i go back and play i played a few games last year i was lucky to play and the kids aren't kids now the kids are grown men <laughs> yeah. so the, you know the athletes are getting bigger they're stronger the equipment the equipment I find is getting better, but it's getting lighter. It's not made to last no more. You know, the, they no. make concussion helmets, but they don't really stop concussion. But they've got a certificate on them. They've got a bit of less padding. They've got a they've got a bit of a an air gap in the middle where you okay. So the head impact. Can, yeah, yeah. But because it's now made lighter, better than ten years ago where it was heavier, where it took the impact. And I think that like I said, where the athletes have got a lot bigger and a lot stronger uh, and the, the game's changed in any game, you know, the the, the contact's harder. So yeah. I'm seeing guys where they're taking, a, you know, a lot a lot of big calls that we get, you know, I'm going to kind of refer to the hockey side of it, a yeah. checks to the head. You know, I've got, you've got, you might have a six foot two guy versus a five foot five guy. Yeah. He's going to get a, he's going to get a penalised for a check to the head. Now yeah. it might not necessarily be a check to the head, but this young lad who's just not young height, whatever he is, this athlete yeah. has now sidelined because he's now got a, a form of concussion. It's not been diagnosed, but he goes off. This other guy goes and sits in the penalty box. Two minutes later, he's back on the ice again. No one's really checked him because nobody yeah. knows the details of what. That's probably wrong to say that they they don't because. They do various checks and the staff that they yeah, have on. But what they but, what they've proven is that that basically the the pitch side checks aren't yes. aren't sufficient enough. No, um, no. I think there's um, it'd be interesting with the three sports that we've got around this table of like boxing, hockey, ice hockey, and rugby. In rugby and ice, for what you're describing ice hockey, definitely in rugby. Like my dad talks yeah. about when he played in like the seventies, and you watch old videos of rugby and this, like the hits are nowhere near the same. Like they're not even on the same. It doesn't even look like no. the same game. Like the hits are different. <laughs> Whereas in boxing, you've always been whacking each other in the head. Yeah. And a guy's used to be big. Like you look at Tyson and Muhammad Ali, like the big guys and they can hit. And it's probably the impacts to the head probably haven't changed. And compared to sports where it has, and it'd be interesting to see what the the data is like on the the different um yeah those those different sports the where different we're sports, seeing yeah. a lot of yeah in american yeah. football in rugby and in, in ice hockey we're seeing those yeah you mentioned cte but all these different cognitive brain issues like happening later in life but happening earlier in people's lives 40 45 50 mm. it's like i'm 41 um to throw it out there i've had 10 years on i've had some follow-up assessments and some follow-up scans like the scar on my brain has healed. Um, my the uh, the functioning of my brain and how my brain is communicating shows, and I still have some short-term memory issues, 
Um, but my ability to manage stress, my brain scan in terms of um, a comparison to someone of my age that hasn't played rugby, I'm of a similar brain health. Mm. And one of the, and I know a lot of my friends who aren't. You know, they're they they're they're, they're they're ten years younger than me, mm. and they're being told they've got a fifty percent chance or forty percent chance, whatever, of getting dementia by the time they're like forty five or something. You know, it's like crazy numbers. Mm. And the the thing that I've been lucky to find and develop and do is work on the breathing that works on your nervous system and your brain health in terms of restoring blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain so that it can heal and it can recover. Um, like I had an email from a, um, someone they'd had post-concussive syndrome for nine years after a, a horse riding accident, nine years later, still suffering with those symptoms. And it'd be, it, it, it's really interesting to see how those symptoms can be a reflection of how that nervous system has still not got over that trauma and how that breathing has still stayed in that like stress pattern. And when we stay like that, we are negatively affecting our blood flow to the brain, the brain's ability to, to recover. And if you took someone that had been um, breathing really dysfunctionally for 10 years and showed me their symptoms, they'd probably mirror the person that had the brain injury yet the person may not have had a brain injury to create their dysfunctional breathing. They might just have a really stressful life and things have happened and, you know, whatever else. Um, so yeah, it's, um, the, the link with breathing for me is, um, is fascinating, but is effective and is easy and is free. And probably one of the reasons why, Pharma to not be sort of controversial, but pharma can't make a pill to sort of make money out of breathing, and so the medical world is controlled by pharma. That's not a, that's not me being controversial. Someone might think it is, but it's that's just how it is. They mm. they are. You can just look at it. That's, that's yeah. That's just how it is. The interesting thing with obviously the sports that we're we're discussing this evening, rugby has brought in the concussion substitute in in the last yeah. few years. Yeah. Obviously, ice hockey is a very roll-on, roll-off game. So if someone was to yeah. suffer an injury, they would come off. I've actually got up here the concussion advice card that the English Ice Hockey Association have put together. And as me and Danny have spoken before, a lot of the clubs will have a fully qualified physio on, on the bench for, for a home game. Yeah. In some cases, at the higher levels, there'll be more than one. But as to the level of training they've got to actually deliver this this check. I mean, they're saying here as they come off, so obviously the player will come off, someone will go on in his place uh, and they've got the five S's. They've got symptoms, sit, see, stop and safe. And it kind of seems to revolve around get this done as quickly as possible and get the player back on rather than let's actually take a real serious look at, at, at what is wrong with them. It's because it, like I say, in football with the Harry Maguire one, Football seems to be refusing to to install the concussion substitute, which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. It's, it's a game where they've included now five substitutes in the game. It really is not going to do it any harm to put an extra one in there so that if someone has a head injury, just get them off the pitch, get them in the dressing room, 
get them talking to a professional or hooked up to a machine where they could be monitored, don't let them go back on. Because it's still, I, um, I think, a lot of it, it's in the players' hands, isn't it, a lot of it? They're saying, yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, like I was having a conversation with uh, David, and David on the phone a couple of months ago now, and we were saying, this, I've tried, you know, I've made various points of contact with certain players, coaches. I've spoke to some physio, uh, members of physio from different teams. And very Everybody's very, very interested in taking on board the message I'm kind of trying to put across to them. But there's no real law there, is there? There's no real status that says, if this happens, this is what goes on. And it sometimes gets to the point where the team medic staff are saying to play, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? I'm fine. Yeah, okay. And the players then going back on, it's a self-diagnosis because the leagues that we have and the, the funding and the equipment that we have, we haven't got guys to take, you know, maybe in the elite, elite league and certainly in North America to finish the high leagues there, they've got players where they can take them off. They've got the backroom staff that they need and the, the equipment. But here in the UK, I'm not just just because it's the UK. Yeah, but here, in but look, in, in rugby, like you're watching the World Cup just recently and I can't remember, the, there was one really clear one. But they've got everything and it's and they've still got the same still, problems. Yeah. And I think that there's just they're saying players' welfare is the most important thing and there's actually making player welfare the most important thing. They're two very different things. Yeah, they're huge, and, aren't they? And the, look, it's, it's difficult, no doubt, that... Um, there's been a lot of stuff changed with like some some laws around like in rugby around like the tackle and we're like trying to protect the players more like 100% we are. Um, but when you see someone get hit on the head and you see them and like a slow motion replay in the stadium and all of us watching at home see that and the guy doesn't come off or the girl doesn't come off you're like, what's going on? There was one, uh, maybe it was in the Six Nations, and even the commentators did finally say something, because sometimes the commentators don't want to say the wrong thing either, and it feels no. like there's... But like somewhat, it was like, they didn't come off, and then eventually they brought them off. So they came off, and then nobody could believe that they went back on. And it was like, what? what are we... If we take, if we, if we think that it's almost what's difficult is you go like, so if we're taking someone off to assess them, it's been noted that we think something's happened to them, and we're going to then take them off to assess them. It's almost like, how are we going to ever put them back on, really, yeah. in the short term? If you think that when I went to hospital, one of the things is when you get sent home, you have to be monitored for twenty four hours because you've got a 24-hour window where the bleed can come out. So if you're assessing someone for 10 minutes, but we know that bleed can come out within the next 24 hours, like how is there any sort of thing around? Mm. We think he's had a brain injury, but we're going to, like, I just think, yeah. Shouldn't you really remain in hospital for that 24 hours? Uh, they obviously don't think you need to. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I've you know, gone home and would much prefer to be looked after at home. And it's like, if anything happens, you just come to, you just come straight back to hospital. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been, but then I have had time, I think three times got kept in overnight 
to be to be modified. I think that you know it depends on the severity of of the situation. I think. Yeah, it's, I can remember the. Well, so it's funny you saying that. Obviously, when you have it, you don't remember it. I only remember it what happened now because I've seen it back on YouTube. Right. But um, yeah, I was knocked out in in the inside the first minute of a fight, and I think it was the first punch that knocked me out. I actually got up from, and I've got no idea how I how I got up. Um, and then watching it back, and then I was caught again, and I went dead stick, and my arms dropped. I, I made yeah. no attempt to to sort of stop my fall. Yeah. Um, as, as I say, I only remember it now because I've watched it back on YouTube. So it's, I know what happened and I can piece together what happened. But to this mm. day, I, think... I, I have no rec- recollection of the entire day. Or, that first or... thing, that, that first, that first knockout is you're kind of like your automatic body reaction is to get up, isn't it? The fight or flight. You know, your body, your body's drift for, yeah, exactly. And then when you real, I think when you, your top half, lower half realizes that you can't, that's when you then, you're back again, aren't you? I think it's anything. Mm. It's your, your reaction is to get back in the game, get back into whatever you're in, you know, like sort of car crash, horse ride, sport. Your automatic is get back up and get back on again. Yeah. Motorbike, whatever it might be. But, you know, that it's such someone's having that power to, to intervene there then, stop and say, no, this is what we need to do, isn't it? You know? But the, I mean, the worrying thing was that was, that was with a, that was, that was only an uh, unlicensed show. So it wasn't professional, wasn't amateur, right. it was mm. somewhere in the middle. The, the medicals are, are loose at best yeah. to pass your medical. You just have to have your blood pressure taken and they'll check your pulse to just check that you're not overexcited or, or anything like that. Check you're alive. Yeah, basically check you're check, alive. Has he got a pulse? Jeez. And, and, and my check afterwards was, was a basic, you know, holding my head. Can I move my head? Does it hurt? Are my eyes following the light? And then they said, yeah. right, don't drive tonight. Right. And that's it. Yeah. And, that, and I think that's, that's a lot going on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, second, like where you've described there, getting hit twice in very close proximity. Like, I assume you guys have come across like second impact syndrome is yes. where the, where the second one, it's it's lights out forever, as in people die and people yeah. people have died on the rugby field from it. Um, I think a lot of us have been lucky. Um, I got um, one of my knockouts, got knocked out in the first half. To the point where I knew, and this was the, I'd been, um, I remember the game, I was, it was away at Worcester. Um, I, uh, I'd been knocked out quite a few times by this point. I think I was maybe like 26, 27 years old. So even though I can't remember being knocked out, the feelings of how I felt, I knew I'd been knocked out. And I said to the physio at half time, think I've been knocked out. I feel sick, classic, like nauseous feeling sick, classic case of um, like a symptom of, of concussion in the immediate term. And he tried to, he said, oh, if, if you feel sick, if I make you sick, you'll feel better. So he, he, he went behind me and tried to do like a Heimlich maneuver on me. I wasn't sick. Went back on, got put back onto the field. And then one, the thing I do remember is, and I know I could, I need to have the conversation with the guy that I said I, I, I was, it was hard. Then some, at some point in the second half, um, I'm going to have video of this. Um, I eventually sort of came back into the, it's like I was obviously on the field doing stuff, but I wasn't consciously, I, I wasn't there. Whereas I came, it was like I came round. It wasn't like I was out and came up. I was, I was like, I came back into the, the room. I remember turning so one of my mates, I was like, "Ah, oh, I feel, I feel better again." 
like sort of all of us. And he was like, okay, great. <laughs> There's a scrum there. The ball's about to come to us. Like, this is the, the play. From that scrum, I got the ball and then made a terrible decision to like cut back in on the inside where there was massive blokes. And I got hit by someone hard. Um, it was basically mistimed, not mistimed by him. It wasn't his fault. It was more like my bad decision meant that I stepped in a way that no one was expecting. And his head um, hit me, top of his head hit me in the, the side here. And I had a triple fracture of my, my jaw and eye socket. My eye socket is still displaced now. Now, that was two big traumas and knockouts in in the same game. Like, you know, I was on the good side of second impact syndrome, luckily. Um, mm. the The interesting thing, from my concussion history is neither one, not even the second one, neither of those are on my medical record. Because wow. when I went to hospital, I got took to hospital in an ambulance with my side of my face like caved in and I had to have an operation to have my, 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 that, that cheek and eye socket reset. And they could physically see that, tick the operation, done. That was, that Luckily, was the concussion side. Well, no one even asked me. No. Nah, how, how when someone's mm. had a triple, when you had a triple fracture of your jaw and eye socket, how have you not had some sort of brain trauma? And how are we mm. not? Uh, so I got luckily because I'd had that, I wasn't allowed to do contact for six weeks. So I then actually had my a six week period of I wasn't going to have any impact on the head. So luckily, but I was clear to do like fitness training, and the next week. I was in and I was like, you know, rugby, you got big guys and, and small fast because I was like the fittest guy in the, in the team. And I couldn't keep up with anyone during some of the fitness session. I remember speaking to the fitness coach afterwards and the captain, I was like, I don't know what's matter with me. I literally, I can't keep up. I'm absolutely dying because everyone's looking at me again. Like, what's the matter with Jacko? And I put it down to, well, I had a general anesthetic last week for, for my operation, like it must just be that still in my system or something. You know, what I now know reflecting back is like <laughs> I'd had two brain injuries in one two game brain. or two concussions in one game. Yeah. And, and the last, the second one was definitely worse than the first one. Um, and it's like, yeah, so you, I should you, not have been wow. on that field in the second half. Nah, that is. 100%, nah. oh, you said before nah, we definitely. came on about the, the authorities, be it in whatever sport, are, are not listening to the science. And obviously your recovery has been a, a journey of sort of learning a lot of that science into the recovery mm. from the brain injuries. Is there a, I don't think there's a short answer to the question of what is it they have to do? What do they have to change to make it safer for their participants? Yeah, I think you're right in that if it was, if I could answer that question in a, in a podcast, then you know, there's, there's really, really a big problem because it's 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 bigger and wider than that. But if I can just put a little bit of context to to the answer in that, like when I've dug into the research, British Journal of Anesthesia in 1968 published a paper that says that when you've had a brain injury, the three three dimensions of breathing will be affected, which which affect blood flow and oxygen supply to the brain and are a sign of dysregulation of the nervous system. So the mechanics of breathing become more like upper chest, the speed of breathing, so respiratory rate increases and end tidal CO2 um, reduces, which is like how sense you become more sensitive to carbon dioxide, basically. And that carbon dioxide, we know 
well known for, this is not even news of that carbon dioxide is a vasodilator and the catalyst allows oxygen to be released from red blood cells so those two things combined being a vasodilator when you have co2 good levels of co2 within the body blood flow to the brain is increased like one of the things that we practice is like some short breath holding you know a 30 second breath hold has been shown to increase um blood flow to the brain by 80 odd percent or 86 percent or something in in one study i'd see and you know that early relationship between concussions and breathing is you know however long that's like 60 odd years old isn't it? 70 years old the the breathing provides two things it provides a reflection of the nervous system and what the blood flow to the brain is like and it and it applies and it provides a tool for down regulating the dysregulated nervous system and a tool for retraining those breathing mechanics and sensitivity to carbon dioxide that's become affected the respiratory centers are in the brain stem the brain stem is like the the oldest part of the brain you got the the mid uh, the, the midbrain pons medulla and like the, the rest of your brain like sits on top of it like it makes sense that when that brain's getting rattled inside of the that's skull that those receptors are being affected um you know the other bits of research that are, that are out there now um from sort of uh, there's been a couple of really good studies this year but then there's stuff from like 2015 2016 um where um the journal of neurotrauma has, has published a few nice papers that highlight this um this dig- dysregulation in the nervous system measured through heart rate variability which is really quite simple to a bit of device you can have to, to, to measure continues beyond the symptoms, the symptom management. And then the, uh, the other one that's, uh, a really important, I just want to get it up. So I don't, I don't get the, uh, thing of it wrong is that, um, uh, so this was the yeah journal of neurotrauma from uh, from this year significant long-term cognitive defects begin to be seen after only three lifetime tbis this should be carefully considered when counseling individuals post tbi about continuing high-risk activities so when you've had three like so this is where the information people often ask the question i get asked a lot is like you know knowing what you know now would you play rugby and there's i love the rugby the sport i still work in rugby and learned so much from it and it's given me so much um so i would play it but what i know now would apply what i know now after my first concussion i would make sure that i was fully recovered before my next one and i wouldn't just follow whatever the the current protocols are like just have a week off and then crack back on if you feel okay i would measure my hrv and i would track my breathing i would um after my second one i'd be starting to go okay that's now getting close to the third three is the sort of tipping point and then once you've had your third one, then you want to be starting to ask yourself some important questions of what's more important in, in life, the sport mm. or your long-term health. And the likelihood, if you manage your recovery between the other concussions correctly and return once your nervous system and your breathing and therefore your brain function has returned to normal, you won't be getting this cumulative buildup because you're giving yourself the time to recover. Take it back to like the hamstring injury. Like if you keep pulling your hamstring, you've got to give yourself the, you've got to rehab it properly and give yourself the time for it to recover. Mm. Brain's the same. So you probably won't get to that third or fourth one. If we, or my big thing is like, can we help people 
like education, medical staff and the players and the culture so that if we've got three or four concussions in a lifetime career for an athlete to play with, let's do the right things and measure the right things, not symptoms in between those so that we don't get to that third or fourth one where people are then thinking about retiring. You know, some people listening to this, if they're playing, like, they'll be like, I've got a mate. He's like, mate, I had way over 10. And I'm like, and how are you doing? He's like, well, yeah, I have trouble with my memory. And I'm a bit worried, to be fair. Like, but I don't know if that's just, you know, I'm in my 40s now. And is that normal? Like, you know, and there's always there's always that, isn't there? Like, is, is this what normal happens to us? But yeah, we, 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 I think the thing that I want to try and do better with my work uh, to help with and give back the work I do within concussion is going like, here's some very simple tools around heart rate variability and breathing. They're going to help us measure to get a better idea of once symptoms have subsided, when are we actually ready to go back into contact and yeah. then, and give people the tools with breathing to help manage that recovery process better and then go back into the sport that you love to do. And you probably love, if you play contact sport, you part of it is that you love the physical contact, but just go back with it, with your brain intact to be able to take another hit just the same way. Anyone that's done their ACL is never going to want to go back onto the field until it feels strong and good again. Like we just want to be able to do that with, um, with the brain and, we can do that with HRV and with breathing assessments. Getting that back, getting that back to the right level it is to return. And I know, and I thought well that once this goes live, certain friends I know, good friends as well, will be listening to this. And I know a couple that you know, I'm not going to mention those people, but I know they're on probably two or three concussions. And I do hope that it's taken serious and certain individuals and people that watch this. And, you know, they can log on to your contact, Jacko, and there's, you know, some great, fantastic stuff that you do, which, again, is how I came across you. I was just away on holiday, and, and, and I went back to Chelmsford and watched the game, see something happen. There was a big hit with team, well, you know, one of the Northern teams hole in the league above, and I thought, this is just, this is crazy. This is These guys are out there playing week in, week out. And don't get me wrong, like you just said, the love of the sport, you want to get back out there. But if these guys take it the right way, right way and get dealt and deal with the, you know, how severe these things can be, then their playing career become longer. You know what I mean? And, and get back on the ice at the right time. And yeah, yeah no, it's you know when, when you when you hear it, anybody can talk about an injury sport lift, but when you actually when I listen and I hear from what you're saying, it just it puts things into such they're more they're, they're so important. You know what I mean? They're so important yeah. to get the fundamental, the foundations right before the end product. You know, we can't make we can't make this this perfect cake without the right ingredients and our this whole brain trauma injury is never going to get better if the, if the, if the ingredients at the start aren't fixed you know and yeah. it's, it's just it's really important and the, and the content yeah. you've got is just it's fantastic yeah and it's great that we can get it off off because a lot of people like i said coaches you know you can go get a coaching certificate in any sport and become a coach you know but unless you've had that real real life situation like yourself then that's, that's that's so important, you know, to people to listen to and and take that information in. Yeah, I've got like a full um, online seminar that's available completely for free, 
with outline of the assessments on breathing that you can do for yourself, the exercises that you can do and how to build them up gradually to help you with your brain recovery. That's all completely free on the website. I'm sure we can put link in the show notes. One thing I did want to point out in the, there is a difference with a brain injury. Um, you know, I've, I've made some similarities or whatever with like saying, you know, if you've done your ACL, pull your hamstring, blah, blah, blah. There is one big difference with a brain injury in that. And it's not the, it's not that you can't see it thing. The big difference with the brain injury is like take my shoulder, dislocated AC joint. So separated AC joint, never had it reattached. The doctor said, well, if we reattach it, it's just going to ping off again when you, the next time you tackle someone. And I um, broke my scapula, the coracoid and acromion process, broke my scapula in two places, one, in, in one hit, did a good job on it. That is an injury that has like, will, that will, I will take that shoulder with me to my grave. Yeah. And yeah. it, I can still, I've built up strength around, I can do things and blah, blah, blah. And, and that's great. But I've still got that in it. You know, I have some, I can feel it. I know that I've, I know that I injured that shoulder. Yeah. But, and that can hamper someone's life or someone's done their ankle. They've maybe they walk with a limp or whatever. Like you can have some physical things that go on for the rest of your life with your, uh, with your physical injuries you get from, um, from, from, from sports. But the thing that we're talking about that does make it different and so much more important is that, and, and I think you mentioned it earlier, people are taking their lives because of the effect that the brain injuries have on our mental state. Mm. So, you know, I'd like my shoulder to be normal, but it's not. But I don't ever think I'm going to kill myself because of it. But with the brain injuries, it put, and the three of us are sat here now, like we're in that category. Mm. Mm. And it's so important that we, and probably, you know, the thing I've learned about and know about is breathing. And so I can sort of sound like the guy that's like, breathing's the the, the one and only thing. Like we, we need to be supporting people in, in all ways, whether that's talking therapies yeah. or breathe, whatever the thing is, we need to be doing all of it. Um, and yeah, I've not had it yet where I get a phone call and it's a mate from rugby and it will happen, unfortunately, yeah. where they'll go, can you remember so-and-so? And you'll be like, and you'll be able to hear it in that, you know, when someone makes that phone call, you can hear it in their voice. Yeah. You're like, you're like, what's happened and they'll and it'll be it'll be that they'll have taken their life and i hope it doesn't happen but i can't see how it's not um yeah no, and great. Totally we need great. to do everything that we can do to help those that are uh, have played and are in the phase that we're in mm. and then also those that are are currently playing because there's there's conversations i have sometimes with medical staff where they might say things like, yeah, like, you know, some of the younger lads, they sort of say they're not bothered. I'm like, yeah, but you're saying, I'm like, your future wife, who you haven't met yet, is going to be bothered. And so are your kids that you haven't had yet with that future wife. Like, we have to help educate and give some of the younger athletes the wisdom and the foresight we have having gone through it. Um, that's, that's a difficult job, no doubt. Yeah. 
but open and honest conversations I think are important. It's why I speak out a little bit more now compared to when I used to. And I'll shut up in, shut up in a second. In that, like you know, I said right, I didn't, I didn't truly speak my truth at first because I was worried about upsetting people or the sport, and I didn't want to talk negatively about. Um, and I, and I hope it doesn't come across negatively. I'm just trying to just say what the truth is of, of just is, my yeah. experience and what's going on. Yeah, it was something actually I was wary of that I didn't want us to to have any sport, either rugby, hockey, or boxing or football, think that we're saying this sport is barbaric. You need to sort it. You need to stop this. Stop this. That's not what we're saying at all. It's yeah. you know people are gonna play it because you know the years that Danny played hockey, you don't play it that long without loving it. The the boxing, the sparring, and everything you have to go through just you know to, to get ready for one fight, you've probably got to take five, six, seven hundred head impacts just to get ready. So you're not going to do it if you Weeks, don't love it. Hours, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think what, what Dan is probably trying to sort of get out to the, to the UK hockey community is some of these young lads that are playing now can sort of take on what, what you've done Jacko with the breathing and almost not prevent, but get their brain in a better shape before they yeah. even take an impact. Yeah. They can yeah, and their them careers and exactly. their lives, and then re- and recover better if they do have an impact. And uh, yeah, e- exactly, exactly. Um, I just, God, sorry, I, I just don't. This doesn't have to just be about one individual sport. This can be, you might be a push biker, you might be a skateboarder, you might be a, a horse rider. You know, I've got friends in that ride motorbikes, friends that play football. It's, it, the concussion doesn't just affect. Well, it's not even Certain sport. Individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Road it's not even sport. Yeah, walking there's, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, there's millions of <laughs> of, of concussions every yeah. year from non-sporting things. Um, and I like and I, I had a, a good example. I, I had a client referred to me from a doctor that I, that, that refers some patients to me. He was an older gentleman who'd uh, retired, so he was in his I think late sixties, early seventies like hit his head in the kitchen or something like that, like two or three years before seeing me that long ago, two or three years ago, he had no idea about his breathing and and everything, but just um, was struggling with sleep, struggling with energy, struggling with focus. Um, He used to be part of a walking group. um, And, you know, he was like, I can't go out walking with him because I can't walk up the hill and I can't walk more than half a mile and I'm just out of breath. Um, and, you know, that's having a massive impact on the quality of his life and also his mm. mental state. The doctor refers him on to me because she knows I do deal with, with concussions and, and how breathing may be related. And I ask him about his breathing and it's like, is, uh, do you know, is, uh, zero, knew nothing about breathing or even his own. And I was watching him and he was like, <sighs> like just breathing, like, so his nervous system was just saying, like, I'm so stressed. Um, anyway, we did, like, four sessions on Zoom over about two months. And he's back walking with the walking club. He can do all the things that he wants to do. He sleeps all the way through at night. It's, it's, it's brought his life back. Um, and, you know, that's two or three years in the wilderness of being like, I'm I'm not, how am I, is this just, this is, this is me now. Um, and just by changing something that he takes for granted. Just by changing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's always it's that little saying, isn't it? It'll, it'll never happen to me. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you do, where you are, freak accents, anything. It's it's the fundamentals, the small things that include that contribute towards a, you know the bigger part of life. You know, the poor lad, you know, the poor gentleman. You think, he'd, like you said, when he'd not slept, he'd not done this, he'd not done that, he'd lost that, and walking his whole life had just been indoors yeah. at short short yeah. pace, wasn't it? All of a sudden, now it's opened back up again. So that's yeah. why I said anybody who sees these podcasts. Or anybody who follows Jacko's content, no matter who you are, what you do, it's it's so valuable. I think so mm. valuable. Yeah, we'll obviously so we'll valuable. tag Jacko and everything that goes out, so that your your tag will be there to follow everything that you do and yeah. and everything that you've done. There's one thing I've seen that I have to ask you about. Oh, uh, the cotton bud. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, if I was to lay, do you, back, li- do you want the live demo? Like the Mersey tunnels, if really I lay dry. back, and I don't think I could get a cotton bud in my nose like that. Right, I'll um. Let me just get one. <laughs> this is for demonstration purposes only. It demonstrates functional anatomy. It's not to encourage you to do it. Um, I'm a trained professional. No. Um, TikTok banned me at first when this went out. Um, they said it was dangerous. And I said, it's not dangerous. It's um, teaching people a very important thing about breathing. Um, and then it went viral. Um, so, well, firstly, take take a breath in up your nose. Breathe in up your nose quite strongly. Yeah, and see what happens. You raise your chest, everything's vertical. Now, why are we breathing up our nose when your lungs are down here? Okay, and then your airway, this is your nose. This is my little man off Amazon. It's a very crap um, little thing, but I like it because it's crap because my demonstration's better. So look, here's his nose, up, don't go anywhere, obviously. Your airway and your lungs are down here, so air goes, but then we've got these three canals, here, here, and here. The bottom one is like the sort of most horizontal. And air goes back, obviously, and down. You like go, oh yeah, of course it does, like, it's got to get in my lungs. That's where it goes, okay? And so your nose, this bit is just the tip of the iceberg. Your airway is everything back here. Okay, and that is everything above the roof of your mouth. So I want you to put the tongue, your tongue to the roof of your mouth. I want you to feel with your tongue the whole roof of your mouth. Oh, I'm going to mute because the masticating noises might be a bit much. <laughs> Do you say masticating? Masticating. Okay, <laughs> okay yeah. So I'm going to you then. Um, so you're feeling the whole roof of your mouth with your tongue. And I want you to appreciate the whole roof of your mouth above there is this. You're feeling, and it's massive, right? The roof of your mouth is big. Mm. Now, in theory, if this is true, and this is a big hole going back to your airway, my cotton bud, for those that are watching on the YouTube video, should be able to go in there. Yeah? And so that's what this... <laughs> demonstration is so rather than going up bloody hell wow Any, anyone who's just listening to the podcast if you ever need on youtube to go to the youtube go people often freak that. out look i'm fine i can feel it's there but barely and it's not blocking your airway or anything no i'm still breathing no. i'm still fine look mm. at me yeah and then i'm worried i'm worried for the day that like it gets stuck yeah basically look <laughs> it was just there there but it makes sense because look air when i breathe in air's gonna go back there and down my throat into my lungs yeah 
And so wow. now, with your tongue at the roof of the mouth, feeling that whole big, where that airway is, mouth closed, breathe into your face and follow the air to the back of the throat. And rather than your chest lifting up, you're going to feel an expansion more so outwardly from the ribcage. Like, that's one of the simplest and best things you can do with your breathing. Mm. Have your mouth closed, your tongue to the roof of the mouth, breathe into your face, and you won't be lifting that rib cage up and lifting your shoulders up to get air in. You'll breathe more efficiently in terms of the biomechanics, but breathing in and out through your nose and try to do it quietly and uh, mindfully follow the airflow back to the back of the throat. Is that, that, that in itself, that one thing in itself can be life-changing for people. Yeah. Yeah, that's Cranky. absolutely astonishing stuff. <laughs> there you go. He's off to go and buy some cotton buds from Boots. Oh, don't no, do this. It's a classic. Already, I knew I was going to see it tonight. Classic and case. Yeah. Don't do this at home. Yeah. <laughs> the blue pizza. Here's one I prepared earlier. I'll send you a selfie later with blood all down the front. Of yeah, no, no. <laughs> but Jacko, thank you so much for your time this evening. Your uh, your explanations of your your journey and your your injury and everything have been. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and a massive thank you to Danny for giving me a call yeah. and, and saying yeah. that we needed to get this done because it's something that needs to yeah. be discussed in, in all sports, but 100%, 100%. particularly in, in, in yours, Dan. Like, like I said, anybody anybody watching this or anybody wants some advice, you know, drop zero pucks a message or, you know, I'm sure Jacko, get in his inbox. Yeah. I'm sure he'll help you out. There's, you know, like I said, the content he's got on there is valuable and let's get let's get this on the road and get, you know, not help, not not helping just people that have got it, and retired and forced to retire, but the younger generation, the yeah. guys that are coming through, just to, let's get the awareness out there and and make these young lads aware, not just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you're talking a load of old twaddle, but let's get this yeah. to the young generation, get it out there, get them thinking and get them in the situation of, oh, let's just take a step back. Let's have, let's have another week off and then I'll have another month at the end, you know, I and mean, this is, yeah. please, you know, let's get this aware. And anybody watching, just please take it seriously, you know. Yeah. yeah, I spoke to a couple of the lads in the last couple of weeks uh, from other teams in in the Britain division that are out at the moment with concussion, mm. and they're I, I know they were looking forward to this, okay, because, yeah. because they've been out for a few weeks, and they I don't know if they're feeling pressured to go yeah. back quicker to get back, yeah, but they yeah they they want to make sure that they're right, yeah. Well, I so say there's so on probreathwick.com, that's my website. There's a free um, concussion recovery seminar um and with that not just the seminar there's also broken down the the assessments to to do for your breathing and the the breathing exercises um to follow to help with that and so people can get cracking and start with that but if you have if people have any questions at all or anything like um yeah get in touch my instagram's jacko.david.jackson on instagram so you know drop us a message on there if you have any questions need any help um yeah we're here to we're here to yeah, here to help you. Excellent stuff. Thank Perfect. you so Brilliant. much, mate. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Cheers, Jack. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, now. A massive thank you to Danny and Jacko for joining me and discussing something very important to the game and so important that the game needs to get it right. And I really do hope anybody that's listened and was interested in it, reach out to Jacko. If you can't find those, those links, they should all be in the posts. Reach out to me and I'll po- point you in the right direction. Because some of the stuff that he's he's now learned and he's teaching everybody with the breathing is absolutely phenomenal and could be an absolute game changer for those people who have been playing or are playing now. 
So yeah, don't don't be afraid. Make sure you reach out because it, you, it could really change your life. Fixtures for next week. The Saturday, the 2nd of December, sees Oxford head to Invicta in the Britain Cup, 5.45 face-off. And Solent get a shot at revenge as the Jets fly south for the winter on Saturday night, 5pm face-off at Gosport. Sunday sees the Red Hawks head to the Thunderdome to take on MK in a 6.45 face-off. Romford head to the Stars to take on Oxford at 6.15. And the Invicta Dynamos head to the Riverside to face the Chelmsford Chieftains facing off at 6pm sharp. Right, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It's been a, been a bit of a long one, I know. I really do hope you enjoyed the uh, the concussion protocol chat with Jacko and Danny Wright. Again, a massive issue that really does need to be to be getting out there so that we know that the, the guys and girls playing this game are all safe and are all keeping themselves in the best condition possible. Massive thanks to uh, the coaches for providing their thoughts. If you're going to follow your team this week, make sure you look out for those uh, London Ulez charges and the Dart charges, especially if you're coming over the, the river from Invicta into Chelmsford for that game on Sunday night. Bring your voices, support the guys. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Podcast Network.